There was a, um, a, a study uh, done by a guy by the name of David Snowden from the University of Kentucky. Uh, he headed it up uh, several years ago. They did a 15-year study on longevity. And they were, were trying to ask the question, what are the keys to people living longer? And they looked across country and were looking at all kinds of different pockets where it seemed like people live longer than in other places. And they were trying to find, are there any common denominators? One of the places that as they were looking, they, they found, they were amazed at because it was a group of women who all lived well into their 90s or beyond. In fact, one of the members of their group was 107 years old and still as sharp as a 60-year-old. And um, it was a group of nuns. They lived in Minnesota, and uh, they were trying to figure out what is it about this group of nuns that makes them live so long. And they looked at factors like, well, what, are, what do they eat? Um, how much sleep do they get? Um, do they, are they exposed to the community with diseases and all this kind of stuff? And, and what they found is that they pretty much ate what everybody eats. They were exposed to the community like everybody else. Um, and as they, they looked, they only found one factor that seemed to be the underlying reason for their longevity. Can you guess what it is? Community. Community. They were a group of women who did life together. It was an amazing study. What they found were that they believed that this intense community that these women had, where they shared with each other the problems that they were going through, where they confessed to their, each other the failures and sins that they committed. They, they had a group of women who walked with them when they had family members who died, or, or they had family mem- people who were there for them no matter what they were going through. And what they discovered was that this deep sense of community was like a life force just breathing into them. And it led to this thing to say, here's one of the factors they've discovered. When you are in community, you will live longer. All things being equal, you will live longer. Now, that shouldn't be surprising to us because community is the way that God created us to live, right? Um, and we've, we've talked about this. Last week, I did a message on isolation and just the dangers in being isolated. And we said, you know what? That's not how God made us to be. From the beginning of time, the Bible says, it, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God created us. And we have to, we have to really kind of sink into this. God created us not just to walk with him, though we do need God. And last week we talked about that. We can't do this on our own. We, we need God. We were created to need God. But here's the part that I think is more difficult for a lot of us. We're also made to need each other. God created us that way. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. Last week I talked about uh, isolation. This week I want to talk about this power of community and what we need to do to lean into it. There's a um, passage of scripture in, G- in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. If you want to take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me. We're looking at the story of, of Peter and how he was placed in prison. And what we can learn as keys as we look to find freedom for ourselves, no matter what kind of things we're shackled with or dealing with, how do we move toward freedom? Well, community is one of those keys. Look at one of the, these is kind of one of these underlying secrets to Peter's success that we sometimes we miss. Acts 12, verse 5, read it out loud with me. But while Peter was in prison, 
the church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, just let that sink in for a second. It's not a profound statement, but it is a profound statement. Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Now, just think this thought with me. Why was the church earnestly praying for Peter? Because they knew what was going on in Peter's life. Remember last week I talked about, we talked about isolation. I said people can't pray about what people don't know about. But because Peter was in community, not just had this relationship with Jesus and this relationship with God, he had this intense relationship with another group of people. So when he went into his time of prison, guess what? He wasn't alone. Not only was God with him, but he was surrounded by a group of people who were with him. That is so huge. Um, Several years ago, when I was actually here as an associate pastor, I, I attended a, a conference led by a guy by the name of Ray Zacharias. And Ray made a statement that just always stuck with me. He was talking about this need we have to be together and why it's so important, especially in a day of individualism and how we're all kind of seem to go our own direction. Here's what he said. He said, you know, if we're honest, we really don't pray for each other in the church. He goes, we often say to people, you know, I'll be praying for you, but we really aren't praying. He said, we often, you know, tell people we'll, we'll be praying, but we, we really don't pray. And he said, do you know the reason we don't pray for each other? We really don't love each other. Now, I got to be honest, that, that made me mad. And I, and I wanted to just jump up and say, Ray, dude, you don't know who you're talking to, you know. I love everybody. You know, I've got this great affinity for everything. And, and, and I, was, I was really just internally pushing back. And Ray, Ray could read it. And he said, now, before you guys get all upset, he goes, let me tell you why. He goes, we, we really don't pray for us because we really don't love each other. And he said, the reason we don't love each other is because we really don't know each other. He said, you can't love, really love people that you don't know. And you won't pray for people that you don't really love. He said, we get this so backwards in the church. He said, we make such a big deal about praying for people and loving people, but we need to tell our people we've got to get to know each other. Does this make sense to you? And that's the essence of true community, is really knowing each other. There's a word used in the Hebrew, it's a word yada which means to know intimately, not just knowing a face or knowing a name, but it's, it's knowing deeper level stuff. Are you engaged in true community? Just a question, but think this thought with me. Do you have in your life a group, doesn't have to be a big group, but do you have a group of people that you're really doing life with who know what there really is to know about you? Or are you trying to do this all on your own. Here's my discovery. In 40 years of ministry, there are a lot of people who go to church, but there are not a lot of people who are engaged in true community. Amen? Bad. Now, so what keeps us from true community? Can I give you a few thoughts? When I sat down this week and I was, I was processing this, I thought of five. I'm sure that there are more, but let me give you five really quick. One of the things I think that keeps us from true community is shame. It's shame. Shame is when I'm afraid if I really tell you what I'm struggling with, you're not going to like me. Shame is if I really told you what I'm tempted by, you, you would roll your eyes at me. 
Shame is if I really told you what I've been through in my life, if I really told you about the pain that is there in my past, you, 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 would, you, would, you would walk away from me. Shame, shame is that part of us that, that, that holds back. It says, you know what, I've got, this, I've got this pain, I've got this guilt, I've got this stuff going on, but I, I really don't feel like I can tell you because if I tell you, you'll no longer accept me. And we desperately want to be accepted. I, I saw something on, on Facebook. I don't, I don't share a lot of posts, but I saw something that just hit me hard, and I, I, I copied it and pasted it in, on Facebook. Let me just read it to you. I, I love this. It says, if you're having sex before marriage, go to church anyway. If you're a drug addict trying to beat addiction, go to church anyway. If you were out drunk all night the night before, go to church anyway. If you aren't sure what gender you prefer, go to church anyway. If you can't quit that disgusting habit, go to church anyway. Church is a hospital for the broken, lost, empty, confused, desperate, and rejected. Every sinner has a future and every saint has a past. How do we break the chains of addiction and bondage? By prayer. Prayer for you and prayer with you. There isn't a single person in the four walls of the church that doesn't have something they hate or regret about their past. We've all made mistakes and we will continue to do so. But his grace is enough. There's things that I would never want to admit out loud about myself, but God knows, and he loves me nonetheless. So whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, whatever you will do, go to church anyway. It just might change your life. And everyone said, amen. That's what church is supposed to be because that's what God created us for, true community. And sometimes shame gets in the way of that. Can I give you another one? And this is a little bit painful, I think, sometimes. Pride. Pride gets in the way of real community. Pride is the belief that, you know, other people struggle, but I, I don't. You know, you know, those people in Celebrate Recovery, they got issues, you know. Uh, but me, I don't have any issues. Look at me. Oh, yes, you do. And if you don't know what those issues are, if you want to talk to a few of us, we'll help you discover what those issues are. I promise you. And if not, we'll bring those issues out of you because I know they're there. You know, you know it's so interesting. When I thought of this idea of pride, I, I thought of the, of the story Jesus told about the, uh, the Pharisee, you know, the real religious guy and the, and the tax collector who both went to the temple to pray. And, you know, the tax collector, man, he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's a mess. And he goes before, you know, he goes into the temple and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He wouldn't even look up toward heaven. He was so, he was so ashamed you know he knows his brokenness but the pharisee this religious guy what's he say throw it up on the screen <coughs> the the pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer i thank you god that i'm not like other people get you i'm not like other people like cheaters or sinners or adulterers and i'm certainly not like that tax collector look at me you are just like that tax collector just like him for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And believe it or not, all means you. That was one of the big things that Jesus tried to drive home is because these religious people were thinking that just because they didn't have demonstrative sin in their life, that there was no sin in their life. There weren't any issues. That's why Jesus said, you know, it's been written, don't commit murder. But I'm going to say to you, if you're harboring anger in your heart, you're committing murder already. 
you're just as guilty. He said, you know, it's been written, don't commit adultery. But I'm going to tell you that if you're looking at men or women lustfully, you know what? You're committing adultery already in your heart. Look at me, gang. Please hear this. Sin isn't something that's just out here. It's stuff that's in here. And the day we get that is the day we'll lose our pride. And we'll recognize that at the foot of the cross, baby, it is all level ground. Can I give you a third one? Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness keeps us from true community. And self-centeredness is something we really deal with in our culture. You know, we think that everything is about me, you know. Um, you know, for several years in, in leadership and church circles, they've talked about the rise of consumerism, where instead of really going to belonging to a church as a community of faith where we're there for each other, how so many people only go to church for what they get out of it. They're there to take, not to give. And as long as they're receiving something, you know, they're on the receiving end, they're, they're all in. But the moment it comes to, to giving, they're, they're out. And, and that's so contrary to the true, true idea of community. The idea of community is you are there for me and I am here for you and we give to each other. Go back to Acts 2 and read what happened. It said when the disciples were gathering together. They shared everything that they had with one another. Everybody was giving to this. And when I'm just focused on me, you know what? I can't do that. Um, I'll never forget. I had, I had a guy in my church in Phoenix. His name was Paul. A real quiet guy. I, probably in the 10 years that I got to be around him before he passed, I probably heard him say six sentences maybe. Just real, real, real quiet. And um, Paul was one of those humble servants who, you know, he was never a guy who was going to stand on stage. He was never going to sing a song. He was never going to lead a group. But he was always there behind the scenes. Paul came to our campus every Sunday at 7 a.m. And we had like nine buildings on our campus. And Paul went to every building and turned the lights on and turned all the air conditioners on in all of the rooms so that when our Sunday school teachers arrived, their rooms would already be cooled off and ready for them. Look at me. And in Phoenix, that's a big deal. You get that? That's a big deal. And he did it. He was so humble and behind the scenes. We, we would help students. We, we, made a, we made a pact that any student that wants to go to camp or any student that wants to go to International Youth Convention, that if they couldn't afford it, we would help them find their way. And uh, we would help raise money for them. And we had people who would sponsor them. And, and, and Paul wanted to help, but Paul didn't have any money. So you know what he did? This was so unbelievable to me. Paul went every week on Sundays and Wednesdays after church Paul would go to, we had like three or four different Coke machines on campus. He went to every place where there was a Coke machine, and he went through, and he collected all the aluminum cans that people had thrown away. And for a year, he would collect those aluminum cans, rinse them out, take them to the recycling, and save that money up. At the end of the year, when it came time for International Youth Convention, Paul personally sponsored two of our teens to go to International Youth Convention. That's a selfless human being. When we make church, when we make groups, when we make life just about us, guess what? We can't live in true community. Can I give you one more? Low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. Some of you are going to get this. There are some of you sitting in this room and you don't believe that you are worth other people hearing about. 
There are some of you who really don't believe that you have enough value for people to hear your problems, to, to know what's going through. Some of you don't believe that you are really uh, valuable enough to the people around you or to your group or even to God for you to be able to share your life with. And can I tell you something? You're wrong. You're wrong. You know who you are? You're the pearl of great price that God was willing to sell everything to possess. You are the treasure that's buried in the dirt of this world that God was willing to give up everything that he had just to claim as an own. And if you are worth that much to God, you're worth that much to us. Amen. And sometimes that, that low self-esteem becomes a tool of the enemy where we keep people's at arm's distance and we've got to break through if we're going to experience true community. I'll give you one last one. Busyness busyness. Some of us, if I were to really kind of dig down and say, how come you're not really engaged in community? Here, here would be the answer for some of us. If we're honest, I'm just too busy. I've got a busy job. I've got busy hobbies. I've got a whole bunch of other things going on and my life moves fast and I'm going from here to here to here. And I, I really don't have time to develop relationships that have that kind of relational tissue to it. I don't have real, I don't have the kind of time I need to develop community. Look at me. You better make time because what it's keeping you from is the essence of what life is all about. Look, hear my heart. Some of us work so hard at making a living, we forget what, what life is really all, 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 truly all about. We forget what life is for. I, I had a guy in my church in PA who got, got really busy like that. He, um, he developed a, a, a flourishing business and it really took off and he was always on the go. He's putting in 80, 90-hour weeks. And, and for the first time in his life, he was really making money. And, and he was so excited about this new endeavor. You know, he, he was gone all the time from his home, gone from church, wasn't able to be around. And I'll never forget the day I got to call that he had had a heart attack out of the, one of the properties that he owned. Guy was like 43 years old. And they life-flighted him to Pittsburgh Hospital. And... When I went to the hospital the next day to see him and I was talking to him about how he was doing and, and he began to just get tears in his eyes, he began to talk about how his life had been recently and, and he made a statement to me I've never forgot. He said, you know, Pastor, life becomes very clear on a life flight helicopter. Life becomes very clear on a life flight helicopter. And you know what? He's right. Sometimes it's moments like that that we realize, you know, no matter what else I've got going on in my life, I've got to make time for these people in my life because these people mean everything to me. Amen? I want to give you, I want to give you a couple of thoughts today. Not going to take long, but I want to give you a couple of thoughts about this whole idea of living in true community. Just some things as you're thinking about maybe stepping into true community or, or, or maybe just thinking about how to, to ramp it up from where you've been. Let me just give you a couple things to consider. Here's the first one. Don't wait until you need the community of faith to get involved in the community of faith. Don't wait till you need the community of faith until you, before you get involved in the community of faith. Now, Nick, can I, can I tell you why? What my buddy in Pennsylvania discovered is crisis makes you look at life different. 
And, and, and again, through the years of being in ministry, I've seen people, man, that when they're in crisis, when their marriage is in trouble, when they're in financial upheaval, when, when the health issue comes up that's life-threatening, all of a sudden, man, they want the church. You know, they want people around them. They want praying people around them. Well, you know what? You, you shouldn't wait till then. You know, not that they're not going to take you in, not that they're not going to love on you, but one of the things I love about Peter, Peter was in community when Peter needed community. Peter was already deeply invested in these people's lives, so when, when his need came up, he was already surrounded by the people who were there to help him. Does that make sense to you? And I, I think of so many situations of, of people who, you know, they're, 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 when they go through stuff, they're going through it alone because they don't have people in their lives. Um, Anna, where are you at? Anna, do you mind if I talk about you for a second? Yeah, okay. I asked her permission before the, the service. And Anna is one of our, our Mid-America Christian University students, came to us, come to us from Brazil and um, played soccer. And in about, oh, I don't know, how many months have you been coming here now? Three, four months maybe? Maybe something like that? I'm a pastor. I'll just make it up if I can't figure it out. Nobody knows. But um, she came. Stephanie met her at, at the Immaculate Soccer and invited her to church. She came and she's been coming and she helps out some with our kids. And she's, she's just made this her church home and she's kind of gone through, you know, made this and kind of settled in with us. Got really know her. Just a great, great kid. But in some recent weeks, um, Anna's gone through some, some hard stuff in her life. Uh, she's gone through some, some changes, she's gone through some needs. And she came in and she met with me and we talked together and I found out that because of some of the circumstances that have changed for her, some of the stuff that she's gone through, that she was not, not going to be able to afford to live on campus next year. She's got one more, son, one more semester before she graduates and she wasn't sure how she was going to be able to get through the summer, what she was going to do next year. And she was really in a panic. And we sat in our office and I listened to her and I tried to encourage her and let her know that God was with her. But the other thing I told her, and this is just really important for you to hear, as I said, Anna, we're not going to leave you hanging with this. You're here. We'll take care of you. And I'm delighted to tell you that you know, we are going to take care of Anna, and we've got funds that we're going to use to help her be able to stay on campus this summer, and we have a family that we have found in our church that she's going to be able to stay with next semester while she finishes her degree here at Mid-America Christian University. Anna, we love you, your family. And I'm just so thankful. Yeah, you can give her a hand. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to Wanda about this last night. I just said, you know, I'm so thankful that Anna found us because if Anna hadn't found us, if she'd been out there somewhere on her own, how do you, how do you navigate through stuff like that? Look at me. I'm, I'm going to hear my heart. I know I'm a pastor, and this is what I do for a living. But, gang, I, I'm also a human being who has struggles and problems and issues and I don't know how people do it without the family of faith. I don't know how they do it. That's why God gave us one another. Amen? Don't wait till you need community to get involved in the community. Let me give you a second thought. And, th and this thought came because sometimes when we're in community, we don't really feel like we're a part of the community. And sometimes, can, can we just get, can we be honest? It's just us. Sometimes we get disillusioned with people, don't we? And... I've had a lot of people through the years, I've had a lot of people at different places, people who have left the church because people weren't there for them when they needed them. Listen to me. But there's been a lot more people who have left the church 
simply because they felt like people weren't there for them when people really were. That's my second thought that I want to give you. Learn to discern between fact and feeling. Learn to discern between fact and feelings. I I want you to repeat this phrase out loud after me. My feelings are real. They're just not the truth. I'm going to say that again. My feelings are real. But they're not just, they're not the truth. Okay. Now, the reason that's so important is because sometimes when we start feeling, look, look at me, because some of us really struggle with it. Sometimes when we feel rejected, we're not really rejected. Sometimes when we feel alone, we're not really alone. Sometimes when we feel abandoned, we're not really abandoned. And what happens is when I begin to feel alone, when I begin to feel rejected, when I begin to feel abandoned, it's real easy for me to to back away from the community around me thinking these people don't know, these people don't care, these people don't want to know. And we we begin to tell ourselves these stories about people's intentions or lack of intentions and, and it causes us to withdraw. Now, what you have to understand is that is one of the greatest tools that the enemy has. Because if he can make you believe that this community in that you're in no longer cares, where do you go? What do you do? And it's not always that way. Um, Elijah, I love the story of Elijah. I said when he was he was had had this. Uh, had won this major victory and then shortly after that he became a wanted man and when he found out he was a wanted man he was running for his life and he got really afraid and he, he felt really alone he felt really abandoned it said Elijah went to the mountain of the Lord and here's what he says this is on your outline Elijah says I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you torn down your altars killed every one of your prophets listen to what he says I am the only one left let that sink in I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, as he, as he says this, you can just say he's overwhelmed. He feels alone, but he's not really alone. And as God ministers to Elijah, <coughs> one of the things he says, he said, I want you to go back, and I want you to anoint this guy. I want you to anoint this guy. I want you to anoint this guy. And I want you to anoint this guy, because they're going to help lead with this thing. And then look at what God says. Read this out loud, that last sentence. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. How many others? 7,000. Was was Elijah alone? No, it just felt that way. Great story a few years ago. Uh, 17-year-old by the name of Katie Fisher. Um, Katie was going through uh, cancer. And um, her mom, Jane, as they, as they were walking through this together, uh, they, it was just, you know, for those of you who have been through cancer and cancer treatment, it just, it really takes its toll. And she was enduring the, the chemo treatments and the radiation. And, and um, you know, sometimes when you're going through that, you feel like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. And Jane, as a single mom, was feeling this and trying to care for, trying to work, trying to do all of this. And, you know, medical bills piling up. And, you know, you're trying to figure out how do you get through it. And one of the things you feel, you feel very alone. You feel very abandoned. Nobody understands. Nobody really cares. And we're, we're dealing with this. Well, Katie, on the other side of her radiation, started getting to feel a little better. 
And uh, summer was coming, and she wanted to, to try to get a little spending money so she could actually get outside and be able to, you know, do some of the things that teens love to do. And, and uh, she didn't have any money. Her mom obviously didn't have any money now, and they're trying to figure it out. Well, she had a, she had a little a, a lamb that she had raised, and uh, she didn't really want to give it up, but lamb meat was going for like $2 a pound. And she's thinking, man, I could make some good money off this. And uh, so she decided she went to the, to the junior livestock auction. And when, when Katie walked her, her lamb out there and put it on, put it on the auction block, the, the, uh, the, the auctioneer, I think his name is Wilson Reed, um, he knew Katie and her family. She knew what they were going through. And before he did the auction, before he started doing the auction for the lamb, he said, okay, folks, he said, some of you are aware that uh, Katie's been going through a hard time battling cancer, and we've been pulling for and praying for her, and today we get a chance to, to help her out personally. He said, I, I, know, I know some of you, you know, want to make this happen for them, so let's, let's really bid well on this lamb. And so they did. And they began, man, it started out like a buck a pound, and it went to a buck fifty to two bucks a pound, two fifty, four bucks a pound, and the price kept rising. They finally sold that lamb eleven dollars and eighty cents a pound. It was unbelievable. The place broke into applause. But they went crazy when the guy came up to claim the lamb and gave it back to Katie. Blew her away. And then the, somebody in the crowd starts chanting. Sell it again. Sell it again. And Katie looks at the auctioneer and he gave her the thumbs up. He goes, who else wants to bid on this lamb today? So people started bidding again and it, it price went up and up and up and somebody else bought it. And when the guy came up to claim the lamb, they, everybody in the shout and the audience started yelling, resell, resell. So the guy gives it back to Katie to sell again. So they did that. They did it again and again and again. Katie sold that lamb 36 times that day. 36. And when it was all said and done and the last person gave her back the lamb, her and her mom walked away with over $16,000. Now, you got to get this. They came into that auction feeling very alone. But they realized we're not alone. We've got a whole community that cares. Are you getting this? Just because you feel alone it doesn't mean you are alone. Amen? Amen. Can I give you one more? Being real is the key to being really connected to others. Being real is the key to being really connected to others. Can we be honest? I mean, just me and you for a second. We're often not real. Yeah, I mentioned this a week or two ago. You know, we, it, it's churches. Church is one of the most lying places in the world. Come on. I mean, how many of us came in today? You know, we didn't have to wear masks and we're all happy. You know, we had coffee and donuts. You know, we're, you know, we're just so excited. And we came in and yet, come on. A lot of us, we get this stuff going on. And we came in and somebody looked, hey, hey, how you doing? You go, yeah, I'm doing good. How about you? And I'm doing good. Yeah, high five and walk. And we all lied. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter whether we got coffee and donuts or not, I'm not doing good. I got stuff. Stuff I really need to tell somebody. And you got stuff. And you lied because you said you were going to do it too. And you're not doing good either. You got your own stuff. 
And that's often how we are. Look at me. And that's why we never really get sometimes to true community. True community has to be at a place where we can share. Now, please, hear my heart. I'm not talking about posting everything that we, you know, got going on in our life on Facebook. Because there are a lot of people out there, they don't care what you got going on. But you do need to have a few people. Please hear this. You do need to have a few people in your life with whom you can be really real. Back in Phoenix, I was, um, we had a Wednesday night gathering. I think we were doing a baptism that night. We usually did classes, kind of like we do here. And That night, we were having a baptism, so the whole church was gathering together in the multipurpose room, big building we had. And we had had dinner, and people were cleaning up after dinner, and the band was warming up, and we were getting ready. And I'm, I'm walking around, you know, I'm walking through the crowd, greeting people, doing my huggy, kissy thing that I do, you know, and just loving on people. And and um, as I was just looking at people coming in, there was a, a girl, a woman, who walked in from the back. Her name was Linda. And I could just tell something about her face, about the way she looked, just kind of cued me that something's going on with her. And uh, so I, I was walking. I kind of made my way back that way and was talking to different people. And when I got, got to her table, she was just about to sit down. And, um, and I, I tapped her on the shoulder, and she turned around, and she goes, oh, hi, Pastor Steve. And she gave me a big hug. And, uh, and I said, Linda, how you doing? And she said, I'm doing good. You know, and she started to sit down. And before she could sit down, I, I grabbed her arm. And she turned and looked at me, and I said, Linda, don't lie to your pastor. How you doing? And all of a sudden, it was, She just lost it. And I'm standing there at this table with her, and she just put her head on my shoulder, and I put my arm around her, and I'm just patting her on the back. And she cried for a few minutes, and then she, she leaned up, and she just began to tell me about this horrible, horrible week that she had had. Uh, all the stuff that was going on at work, this big fight that she had had with her husband, all of these things. And, and when she finally you know, kind of shared what was on her heart, I, I said, Linda, I am so sorry. Can I pray with you? And she said, I would love that. And so I just leaned in and got close to her ear. And I just whispered like a 45-second prayer that just said, God, you know exactly where Linda's at. You know what's going on with her. And you love her more than I do. Would you just put your arms around her? Would you bring healing to her heart? Would you let her know tonight she's not alone? And when I got done praying, she, she hugged me again and she wiped the tears away again and as she got ready to sit down. She said, Pastor Steve, thank you so much. I really needed that. Of course you did. But you don't get those real needs met if you're not willing to be real with someone else. Does that make sense to you? You see, Linda could have came in that night and she could have left. And Would she have survived? Sure, she would have survived. But she would have carried this weight on her shoulder. and She didn't have to. All she had to do was be willing to be honest. Jesus modeled that so well for us. I mean, if you would think that there would be one individual who doesn't need anyone in this world and could do it all by himself, it would be Jesus. But I look, want you to look at what happened. Look at the story of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus went in to pray 
before he was about to face this really difficult time in his life. Matthew chapter 26, he said, And Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And then Jesus said to them, read it out loud with me, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Would you stay here and keep watch with me? If Jesus felt like it was important to be able to be honest with a few close friends, don't you think that ought to be important to us as well? If Jesus felt the need to have some other people in his life helping him carry the cross on this journey, don't you think that ought to be the way we live? If Jesus needed community, it's okay for you and me to need community. So who's your community? Who are you connecting with? Who are you sharing with? Who are you praying with? My desire for us is, as a church is to create safe places and safe spaces for, for people to be able to have other people join them on this journey. And my encouragement to you as we step out of this COVID era and as we step in to being able to be together again is learn to appreciate again the power of community. Recognize you don't have to go through this life alone. Don't wait until you need community to step into community. Let's build relationships now and then we'll have them when we need them. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you today that in your wisdom, you didn't leave us alone. You didn't ask us to go through life all by ourselves. You didn't ask us to go through life trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or make our own way without the help of anyone around. You created us for community. You created us in such a way that we were to need you. We need a God. We need your strength. We need your grace. We need your spirit flowing through us. But you also created us to need each other. That's why you gave us families, people that biologically were connected to, so we would have some people in our lives. But Lord, that's also why you created the church, because sometimes our biological families aren't always the ones that make the best community. But you've given us a family. Lord, your word says in Psalms, the Lord sets the lonely in families. And yet, God, sometimes that's a concept we have to embrace. Community doesn't just happen. It happens when we choose it to happen. It happens when we care enough to build relationships with a few close, safe people that we can share our hearts and lives with. And Father, I pray that you would help us. I, I pray that you would help us to get beyond our shame, that you would help us to get beyond our pride, that you would help us to get beyond our self-centeredness and get beyond our, 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 our low self-esteem, that you'd help us to get beyond uh, uh, the busyness of our lives and that you would just help us to once again place as importance 
these relationships that mean the world to us. Father, we love you so much. I pray for every person who's here today that maybe this last week they were, they were thinking to themselves, nobody really cares about me. Nobody cares about my life or what I'm going through. And Lord, they're wrong. You care. We care. But we can't help and we can't pray about things we don't know. So teach us the power of being real with one another. Lord, you said in James, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Father, my prayer is that this community of faith would be that healing place. In your precious name we pray today. And everyone said, amen.